Hello, and welcome to the podcast series, Creditor's Corner Legal Talk, presented by Smith Debnam Attorneys at Law, where we explore a range of legal topics impacting businesses and private individuals. So be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. My name is Landon G. Van Winkle. I'm, I'm an attorney in the firm's Consumer Financial Services section. I will be your moderator today. Today's topic is dynasty trusts. We're going to cover what a dynasty trust is, how it's different from a regular trust, and then we're going to talk about some of the advantages of using a dynasty trust, as well as some of the drawbacks that dynasty trusts present. Before we begin, I want to note the information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, any and all information shared is for general informational purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. Without out of the way, let's turn our attention to this week's topic. With me today is Andrew Bullard. Andrew is an attorney in the firm's trusts and estates practice area. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? Good, glad to be here, man. Okay, so Andrew, before we get into dynasty trusts, let's give our listeners a quick primer on trusts. In general terms, what what is a trust? You bet. So uh, basically what a trust is, is a three-way agreement among uh, the parties who are always going to be present in a trust. There's multiple versions of trust you'll hear, and we're going to get into one specific one today, but they are these contracts. And the contract is involved with three parties, one, the grantor, the trustee and the beneficiaries. The grantor is the one who puts the piece of property into the trust. The trustee is the one who does the administration of the property that's in the trust. And then the beneficiaries are exactly what it sounds like. They're the ones who benefit from the assets or anything that's being disposed of by the trustee to them. They're pretty simple in terms of pretty easy to create. It's just a matter of usually what you're trying to accomplish with the trust. Um, And for the most part, we use them as more advanced estate planning tools is what we do. They can be a basic tool of as well if you're just looking to do probate avoidance or you're looking to keep your affairs private. Um, but we use them more for kind of problematic situations, in my opinion. And also just for the fact that if we kind of have other, you know, I'd say special needs children, or if there's any kind of situation where we're going to have difficult family members, then a trust can be ripe for that. But at the end of the day, they're just another tool in our um, tool belt as estate planners is what they are. So I've heard sometimes people refer to revocable and irrevocable irrevocable trusts. What's what's the difference between those two kinds of trusts? Yeah. So actually there's, so when you have a revocable and irrevocable, there's actually three versions of trust that we tend to use most often. So there's revocable and irrevocable tend to be standalone trusts. I think when you hear the the term of like a trust fund baby, that's, that's typically what a person is referring to is somebody who got a standalone document, parents or grandparents created it for the benefit of a child or grandchild. And then they're receiving money from the trustee is what they're doing. There's also testamentary trusts. Testamentary trusts are similar to revocable trusts. They're just contained in your will is where they're actually, they're not a standalone document that's funded during your life like a revocable trust is. Now, the big difference between a revocable and irrevocable is kind of like exactly what they sound like. A revocable trust, you can change throughout the years as circumstances change, as family dynamics change. You can take advantage of the fact that the document can be amended, it can be revoked, you can get 
people in and out of the document if you need to, if a trustee passes away or you aren't happy with the way the trustee is acting, then you can remove them is what you can do. Irrevocable, you have to be very comfortable with the fact that one, the asset that you're going to put into that type of trust isn't going to probably come back out in limited circumstances. We can do things to, to change assets into the trust, but more than anything, you're going to have to be very comfortable with the fact that your trustee who probably won't get to be you, it can be in certain situations, but also your beneficiaries are going to be set in stone at that point in time. And it's going to take a court or some really powerful drafting on the part of the attorney who's doing that to be able to change that type of document. Um, we tend to use irrevocable trust for more along the lines of tax planning than we do if you're just saying, I want to leave stuff to my children. And this is how you know I have three children, I have a spouse, and I want to leave them the X, Y, and Z assets. You know, we would use a revocable trust for something like that. Irrevocable would probably be going almost a little bit too far unless you were over estate tax limits. And we needed to find a way to maneuver assets to get your estate tax level down uh, past the exemption amount. So a dynasty trust, is that a revocable trust or is that an irrevocable trust? What, what, what flavor of trust is a, is a dynasty trust? It's actually a blend of both is what it is. Um, so they tend to start out, they will almost always start out, in my opinion, as a revocable trust. Um, they can be irrevocable if you want to use the dynasty portion of and the dynasty portion. I'll get into of what that is. Um, they tend to start out as a revocable trust. And I'll use myself as an example. So I have a, so I'm married and I have two children and I would always want to give everything to my spouse. And then if I you know, keep stuff in trust for my children, if I use a dynasty trust for my children, it would just mean that they're going to receive it through their lifetimes. And if they have children, then the, my grandchildren would receive the assets at the end of the day. And I could keep it in trust for them as well if I wanted to. Up front, when I originally started the trust, it's going to be revocable so that I can change the terms of it. I can change the trustee if I need to say the trustee died. I would ultimately want to pull that person out and make sure that there's a new one in there. Um, I tend not to like to just let the successor provisions try to prevail, but that's going to be, a, I'm going to be able to amend that through my lifetime. Now, when a person, the grantor, the, so I'm the individual who put the assets into my trust, when I've died, that trust becomes irrevocable at that point in time. So I don't have to worry about, you know, my, and this is kind of one of the worries of every married couple, which I'm not ever would be married, worried about this with my spouse, that your children would be written out of a document or some new spouse would come along and deplete all the assets you've worked so hard for in life. And when I've died, then it becomes irrevocable and the dynasty provisions kick in at that point in time. I can have it where if, you know, my wife has passed away as well then my children receive the benefits of the trust for their entire lifetime is what they do. The big difference between the two, the dynasty trust and your garden variety, just revocable, irrevocable trust is usually we're going to see an age provision on it, on a revocable trust where we'd say at 30 years old, my children can receive their inheritance in essence is what they can do. And the trustee would give them whatever remains on their side of their share. And whether you say it's $500,000 and they turn to them and say, here's $500,000, you get this outright. With a, When you have a dynasty provision in that in a trust though, there's no outright distribution that they're going to receive. My children would have their 
trust would go on for their lifetime. And if they have children, then their shares would respectively go to my grandchildren is what would happen. And it could put an age on their, them receiving it, or you could try and let that go on in perpetuity as well. I mean, you won't be able to do that. There is the rule against perpetuities out kicking at some point in time. So, but if you're trying to keep assets in a trust for a child's lifetime, then you do it with the dynasty trust. If you're trying to give it to them at some point in time and say, I'm comfortable with my child receiving their inheritance at a respective age, then you just do it at a respective age and you can do, and that can be done in numerous types of ways. So what are some of the main advantages of using a dynasty trust as, as opposed to a, a different uh, structure of trust? Um, for very wealthy individuals, or I would say one of the main advantages is there's a, there's two big ones, in my opinion. For very wealthy individuals, it tends to be that you can maintain kind of control of the assets from the grave is what you can do. And you can make sure that your children aren't going to receive just an outright inheritance of millions of dollars that is going to cause them to maybe lose motivation in life. You never want children to, and most of the time, that's what we hear from our clients is that, you know, you want to keep children motivated enough that they don't become so lazy or just to the point where they rest on their laurels and say, Hey, I've got it. I've got this trust out there and I'm going to receive it at 30 or 40 years old. I don't really need to work that hard to be able to do anything right now. And when I'm 40, I'm going to be able to retire anyways and kind of live off of what my parents did. Dynasty trust can give the trustee who might not be one of those children, which probably won't be one of the child or one of the children in that case, the ability to control that and make sure that distributions can come out in their discretion of the trustee. And when they're given to a beneficiary, you know, they're given to them for respective things that we would all as parents maybe want to see, you know, maybe a starter home. If they need something for health or they want to further their education. Not to say that the trust is going to you know, shut down and only be available for those specific activities, but it's going to be for more reasonable kind of purchases and goals in life. It's not going to be for specifically, I'm going to go out and buy that Ferrari that I've always wanted. And I'm going to take that four month vacation to Fiji every year. Well, that's probably not something that a trustee of a dynasty trust is going to be financing. I say the other way that we specifically like them as dynasty trust is we we can have we can put spendthrift provisions into trusts like that where if the trustee if a beneficiary is ever involved in a divorce proceeding or they've got creditors who are coming after them, the trustee can shut down that beneficiary's share is what they can do and make it that the assets that are part of that individual that beneficiary's part aren't available for those type of proceedings. So if a beneficiary ever finds themselves involved in a divorce, they find themselves in a bankruptcy or a bad creditor situation, a dynasty provision can prevent it where those assets aren't going to be just disposed to that individual or that beneficiary to just be kind of immediately taken away from them. Whereas if you give it to them outright, it's available at that point in time. Most people or most beneficiaries who are part of a trust or who receive assets outright from a trust or from an estate, their first common thing, which is very, it's valid. Most of us do this in life. We take our money, we put it into a joint bank account. And once it's in that joint bank account, guess what? It's really tough to be able to discern 
why that isn't available in a family law proceeding at that point. Once we get into divorce, it's not very, it's going to be pretty tough to really undo that is what's going to happen. Um, so we, that's some of the reasons why we use dynasty provisions to prevent stuff like that. Now they don't work for everybody because of that. I mean, you will, where you, as you can support your child through their lifetime, kind of give them the motivation and guide them towards retirement, it can also be, uh, you know, it can come back and kind of look like, hey, you were never confident enough to give me an outright distribution, give me my inheritance. I read your article on Dynasty Trusts. It was very excellent. I recall it talking about something about avoiding double estate taxation. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So really what that boils down to is for very, very wealthy individuals, if if an individual is given an outright distribution, so say I pass away and I have over the estate tax limit, which is 11.58 million right now, I do not have that. Do not come to my house looking for it. Um, they, you would be taxed at that point in time. If I died as a single individual and I had over that, if you pass on that 11.58 million then to a child and they accumulate their wealth, when they die as the outright distri distribution on theirs as well, they will get taxed again on that same money. There isn't a way to really discern from, from the IRS's perspective, they just don't care. They will tax you again when you pass away with that level. And if it's lower at that point in time, which we don't know if it will be 11.58 in the future, then there could be more taxes that get paid on, on that distribution at the end of the day. Whereas with dynasty trusts and when they stay in the trust itself, the taxation flows on the death of the individual, the grantor who put the money in. Since there's never the outright distribution, we can't avoid that. Out, the outright distribution avoids it going in and being part of another estate to be able to be taxed again. Gotcha. So it sounds like there's some some good uses for these dynasty trusts, but are, are there any drawbacks to using it? Um, so one is there's a couple of drawbacks for sure. One one major drawback is most revocable and even irrevocable trusts. When we're using dynasty provisions, we like to point people towards using corporate trustees. And what I mean by corporate trustee is one that's, you know, like out there in the world is for citizens, BB and T, some, some entity that's going to be around for a long time. If you're going to use a family member, just realize that they're going to be on the hook for potentially 50, 60 years, if not longer being a trustee. And the chances are the trust is going to outlive that individual and that trustee. So that can be a very, very long time for that person to be having to function in that role. Um, second is when you don't give an outright distribution to beneficiaries, they can feel pretty slighted by that. I think it it's it's not a matter of, you know, it's not illegal or it's something along those lines. That's family. That's just the basic dynamics of feelings. If you don't get an outright distribution, it can come back and say, well, my parents didn't trust me. There's for some reason why they just don't think I should be able to have all of this access to the money with unfettered discretion on my part. And that can hurt is what it can do. It can lead to fights. It can lead to litigation. It can lead to incredibly large lawsuits is what it can lead to. Um, so, that can be one of the major drawbacks to it, especially in families where uh, a person passes away and they didn't put the beneficiaries, they didn't tell the children that this is what they set up. That's why 
when dynasty trusts, when we're setting them up, we always, I always encourage parents and anybody else who's putting provisions like that into a trust to communicate, communicate with the beneficiaries, tell them, especially if they're your children, tell them that they are going to, that this is the dynamic they've created and that it's going to be different, that there's never going to be an outright distribution. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you don't have faith in their decision-making ability. But you also just want to make sure that there's precautions that are there for people. And maybe it isn't precautions on the fact that you think that they're going to do foolish things with money. There might just be people in the world who are predators who are going to try and get to them for that type of money. Uh, It's sad to say, but wealthy wealth, unfortunately, breeds people coming in to try and take it from you, it seems like. And that is one of the things that we love to encourage, and I always will encourage my clients to do is communicate that. Make sure that they understand why you set this up, how it's going to work. If not, when you spring something like this on somebody at the end of the day, it's going to be really, really difficult for them sometimes to understand why you've done it. Uh, last and but least is when you think of what I've described of someone having to function in a role for 50 to 60 years, you're also relying on a document that's going to not be amended for 50 or 60 years. That is, that is a tough, that is a tall task in the eyes of the law to say, I want a document to function for 60 years and to still remain relevant for that 60 years. When you ask, I think if you were ask any attorney, if they were, if a document was going to last for 60 years and it's still going to be good from inception to when it finally closes down, they would almost laugh at you in the face and say, 60 years is a long time, buddy. There's going to be a lot of changes in that time frame, And because there isn't as much flexibility when you're, when the grantor has passed away, you have to be prepared for that fact that the document is probably at some point in time going to become pretty stale and the ways to amend it, unless you go to court and sometimes find a friendly judge, it's pretty limited in that regard. So who should our listeners talk to if they want to learn more about their kind of estate planning options and when, whether a dynasty trust might be right for them? Um, I would, I'm always happy to talk about it, whether it's email me, phone call. Um, if you want to tr- talk about dynasty trusts and whether it's appropriate for your situation or you just want to talk estate planning in general with wills, powers of attorney, maybe a testamentary trust, anything along those lines, I'm always happy to talk to people and just make sure that they're doing what's reasonable and right for their family situation. Well, Andrew, I really wanna thank you for your time today. This has been very helpful. Uh, Thank you uh, to everyone for listening. Uh, Andrew, you did mention that uh, people were free to reach out to you. Well, what is a good phone number and and email address that they can contact you by? Yeah, so my phone number is 919-250-2110 and my email address is abullard B-U-L-L-A-R-D at smithdebnumlaw.com. Excellent. Well, I'd uh, like to remind our listeners to check out all of our other uh, episodes of the, of the Creditors Corner Legal Talk podcast. And finally, we'd like to remind you to subscribe and I uh, hope everyone uh, stays well and healthy. All right. Thanks again, Andrew. Thanks, Landon. I appreciate it. All right.